Hello there, little masters, and welcome to another weekly episode of the Prancing Pony Podcast, where tonight, the good stuff will make you dream of elves. West Uha, my friends. I'm Sean Marchese, the real-life Lord of the Mark, and I'm here with the man of the West, the adder cop to my Tom Noddy, Alan Sisto. <laughs> uh, well, that's just insulting to anybody. <laughs> yes, it is. At least I made myself the Tom Noddy. That's true. <laughs> Folks, tonight we continue with Chapter 8 of The Hobbit, Flies and Spiders. And we'll finally find out why the chapter is called that. Yes, we will. And as we mentioned at the beginning of our last episode, we've broken this chapter up into three episodes so we can spend mm-hmm. enough time on everything there is to talk about. So That's right. if you haven't listened to our previous episode, 69, yet, go do that. Yes, please. But first, it's time for another This Week in Tolkien History. Yeah, we're going way, way back for this one. But on this day, February 18th in 1857, Tolkien's father... Arthur Ruel Tolkien was born in Handsworth, then in Staffordshire, near Birmingham. And on February 17th in 1894, Tolkien's younger brother, Hilary Arthur Ruel Tolkien, was born. Now, like J.R.R., he was born in Bloemfontein, Orange Free State, in what is now South Africa. You know, I'm always saddened when I read that first chapter of the Carpenter biography with Tolkien losing his father at such a young age. Oh, yeah. Really, really always kind of brings tears to my eyes thinking yeah, about that. Definitely. Um... I've pulled something from more recently, well, from my lifetime at least, though it's hardly recent. <laughs> on uh, the 20th of January, 1969, now don't worry, this is, did I say 20th of January? I'm at 20th of February. I'm like, wait a minute, that's like this quarter <laughs> in like Tolkien a, history. That's like a month ago. I know. 20th We're getting of really February. lazy with this segment, just like, yeah, eh, just, it, it was just in the, somewhere in the ballpark. Somewhere now. in these three months. It's the 20th of February, 1969. <laughs> Rainer Unwin wrote to Tolkien. Now, the two had been communicating about the deal that was in the works for the film rights. In fact, that deal would be signed later that year in June. Uh, in one of the absolutely brilliant letters written by Unwin, he says, and, and I can only imagine he's echoing Tolkien's own view here. I mean, there aren't very many few, there aren't very many people who would have known Tolkien better than, than Rainer Unwin that at this true, point. Yeah. Uh, and he says this, I am perfectly certain that we shall both of us dislike intensely every manifestation of what is done to the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> He's talking about that, I think, in reference to uh, the, the possibility that the Beatles were involved, which Tolkien was just oh, absolutely yeah. abhorrent. I mean, it was just abhor- he found that totally abhorrent. Well, uh, wanted nothing sure, to do with, with that. With good reason. I mean, I'm a I'm a yeah. Beatles fan. I don't yeah, want to see that. I don't want to see that. And interestingly, digressing completely from our point. Uh, the, the the Beatles had approached Stanley Kubrick to be the director, the possible director, if they were able That's to get that right, project yeah. off the ground. And I've just got to say, I, I don't know that I want Stanley Kubrick to be the director. No. I'm a big Stanley Kubrick fan, and I, know, I don't want that. I don't want yeah. The Lord of the Rings with like no. a clockwork orange feel, you know? No, or 2001. Uh, or 2001, no. which no. I love 2001, but yeah. 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 So anyway, going back to that wonderful quote about how the, we will dislike intensely every manifestation— Unwin points out that no matter how bad a film may be, and this is back to the letter itself, the book remains inviolable, and that is the main thing. What they do with the property and other media will, I regret to say, vary in degrees between bad at best and execrable at the worst. I mean, wow. He's not mincing words. No, really. he's not. He's so uh, subtle. I wonder what Rainer means right, by that. I wonder what he really thought about the idea <laughs> of a Lord of the Rings movie. Wow, that's uh, that is a great find and um, some great it perspective. Really is. I love it. You know, it is. I, think, I love the, the book remaining inviolable. That's yeah, true. 
I think that's a great lesson for all of us who love Tolkien's work. And, you know, whatever we may think of the movies, the Mm -hmm. video games, the upcoming Amazon series, the books are always going to be there, inviolable. And the books will always be the books. Yeah. Yeah, they will. They, and 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 I like that, you know, as Rainer says, that is the main thing. That is the main thing. Boy, that's a that's good reminder. Very but good I have reminder. to say, it's pretty funny. I think I know which one would be execrable. <laughs> 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 oh, goodness. But uh, we, we won't go there because we've told I, our listeners. We'll try I to tend to think that the Beatles in, in Lord of the Rings with, uh, I think, John as Gollum, I oh, think, goodness. was the plan there. Yeah, that would have been, been pretty far execrable. Worse. And I, folks, I, I love the Beatles. I listen oh, to the yeah. Beatles a lot. Yeah. And and I'm, I'm kind of a John fan. Uh, he's kind of my favorite of the four. But no, I just I just don't see yeah. it here. Yeah, that's still right. a no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that anyway, was this week in Tolkien history. Yeah. And now it's time to go ahead and get into our discussion. We're going to start okay. right where we picked off. Um, right, We're going to pick up right where we <laughs> left off, I should say. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, they've, they've just gotten Bilbo down from the top of the tree and complained as though the fact that they're not close enough to the edge to see it is somehow had something fault. to do with the fact that they sent a hobbit up there instead exactly. of a dwarf who could have summoned food from the ether. Yeah, yeah exactly. Out of absolutely nothing. <laughs> um, summon sandwich. You cast the old, the old <laughs> dwarven sandwich. summon sandwich spell. <laughs> I didn't prepare that this morning. <laughs> well, we knew the hobbit couldn't do it. Oh, goodness. Well, the, I think you actually the hobbit get to rogue. The, well, yeah, he doesn't have any spellcasting no, ability. Any magic. No, yeah. we yeah, I mean, we know that the dwarves can cast spells, right? We talked That's about right. that yeah. several episodes ago. We ended up having to dive into our our postscript to talk about the fact to that, talk yes, about dwarven magic, dwarven yeah. spells. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't think they have summon sandwich. <laughs> summon sandwich, obviously not, because that would have solved yeah, yeah, a lot of their problems. Clearly, that would have, <laughs> because you know, summon black squirrel really wasn't going to be any good at all. <laughs> no. No, How about summon arrow? Can summon we summon foul- arrow? <laughs> <laughs> summon foul-smelling mushroom wasn't really. <laughs> no, Nobody ever good. prepares that spell. That's... Nobody. That's a total waste of a spell. Why is that even yeah. in the book? Why'd you even right. waste a spell slot on that one? Okay. No, seriously. That night they ate their very last scraps and crumbs of food. And next morning when they woke, the first thing they noticed was that they were still gnawingly hungry. And the next thing was that it was raining, and that here and there the drip of it was dropping heavily on the forest floor. That only reminded them that they were also parchingly thirsty, without doing anything to relieve them. You cannot quench a terrible thirst by standing under giant oaks and waiting for a chance drip to fall on your tongue. The only scrap of comfort there was came unexpectedly from Bombor. He woke up suddenly and sat up, scratching his head. He could not make out where he was at all, nor why he felt so hungry, for he had forgotten everything that had happened since they started their journey that May morning long ago. Mm. The last thing that he remembered was the party at the hobbit's house, and they had great difficulty in making him believe their tale of all the many adventures they had had since. My goodness, that's a pretty significant chunk of time that he's lost. Yeah, boy, talk about forgetfulness. I think yeah. I think Bayorn kind of undersold it. Yeah, I think he really did. It's, <laughs> I, how long ago has that been? That's That's been months now. Yeah, this uh, is fall, least... right? Yeah. Because we talked about the autumn leaves. Yeah, the, the autumn episode. leaves. Yeah. And we know they left, uh, what, the end of April? Mm-hmm. Uh, the no. May, the beginning of May. May. Yeah. They started their journey that May morning. Yeah. That, that's right. That's right. That May morning. So we're looking at, you know, four to six months lost. Yeah. Yeah. Probably, yeah. Four, five months, six months, maybe. Yeah. Four, actually, because that I think right. 
Bilbo's birthday is coming up in You're right. A chapter it does. Or two. Thank you very much. So this is September. Yeah. yeah. So this is like late August, early September. Mm-hmm. Uh because they do spend some time in the in the Elven King's Hall. So yeah, yeah, it could be late August at this point. But yeah, certainly three and a half, close to four months. Mm-hmm. It's a long time to lose. That is a very long time to lose. And what a miserable situation to wake up. Uh, they've all at least eaten their last scraps and crumbs of food. Bomber hasn't even had that. Right. So, um, <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're telling me the food's gone. Right. The yep. food's gone. Where is all the food gone? I'm sorry. That was. I, I feel like I should know that. There was a very bad Jack Sparrow. Where is the rum? Where is all the rum gone? <laughs> <laughs> Where is all the food gone? That was a deep, layered a really, reference. Yeah, very, very, yeah. very, so deep, nobody would have gotten it if I didn't have to explain The it. rum. Where's the rum gone? Where's the, yeah, where is all the rum gone? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm sure they would be perfectly happy with rum because at least it would quench their terrible thirst, um, though that might True. also make them, you know, forgetful. <laughs> that, would, that would make them unconscious. quite forgetful. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I can't it's even stupid. imagine being that thirsty and just hanging around trying to catch a drop of water. But, you know, you, you, you could certainly gather something. I mean, get a get a leather skin, spread, spread it out, and catch enough rainwater to, to get a, you know, a pint or two. Maybe. Maybe. But, I don't but know. They're not, they're not survivalists, 13, clearly. Well, a pint between 13 dwarves. I mean, what are they going to, you know. Do it over and over again. How long is rain's going to last, right? Well, <laughs> that's, mean, that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, presumably it wouldn't take them a couple hours to collect They could pint. maybe have done more than they did. They could. That's what I'm thinking. But they're very tired. They're very weak. Uh, yeah. At this point, they're exhausted. They really have reached their limit. Um, yeah. You know, I'm well, sure and they're... we've seen, I think we talked about this last time, uh, th- we've seen there's a lot of these, like, if only they had done something a little different, like like when Bilbo climbed up the tree. If only he had right. seen. If, he, if he'd if noticed he'd the fact that they were clearly. in that bowl, right? Yeah, he would have noticed he was in this bowl. I think there's a lot of these moments, and they're just, they're just not there at their are. best. No, they're not. They're, they're, this, this is has really, been a really, really, hard. really rough journey for them, and it's taken it's taken a lot out of yeah, them. It really has know, taken a toll. You're right. Yeah, they're not thinking clearly. Yeah, my goodness. So he has not. He does not remember any of that. No, nope. uh, and he tells them about the dream that he had. Oh, uh, man. The, the, the torches and the lamps and the feast and the king. He describes yeah. it, you know, vividly. And, he of does. course, Thorin's like, shut up. <laughs> I don't right. hear we about don't need food. to hear about that. Yeah. <laughs> We're annoyed enough with you as it is. Yeah. Oh, man. We leave you to your idiotic dreams in the forest. You know, that uh, the, the woodland king um, yes. coming in the dream, that's also in uh, Sir Orfeo. Yes, it is. Which we talked about last time. Yeah, in I fact, think had... I think it actually was in your quote. Uh, the fairy king, uh, you know, rode by about, on the horse. We talked about the forest, but I'm thinking of even earlier than that. There's, um, there's the the wife has a dream about oh, the yeah. woodland king. Yeah, was that the one when she dream. falls asleep and then she gets captured yeah. by the fairies? Yes, exactly. And yeah. like, I think he wore a crown of light or something like that. Mm-hmm. But this does make me wonder exactly where does the enchantment on the stream come from? Yeah, you know, yeah, I, we've I been think thinking about that, haven't we? We have, and uh, you know, I. Uh, Certainly don't think we have anything truly definitive, but uh, no, but I've, I've no. been doing we've been doing some thinking and some talking. I think it's natural to assume that the enchantment is an evil thing, right? Uh, maybe coming from the necromancer or mm-hmm. Sauron, um, because or even from know, the forest itself, you know, or even from the forest itself. But we know a lot of the the darkness and evil in the forest does come. That's true. Know, that's true. It, did, it used to be Greenwood so, the Great before, right? He, yeah, right. But the fact that Bomber dreams of a feast and the Elven King. 
and not spiders yeah. suggests to me at least that the enchantment is actually elvish in origin. And yeah. I think it's closely related to the fact that this is elvish territory. Remember, this is the Elven King's hunting grounds. We saw That's the hunt true. last time. That's true. Uh, I, I noticed that Gandalf, at the end of the last chapter, he specifically said that the South is the land of the necromancer. Mm-hmm. And they've been staying as far away from the South as they can. They've taken the northernmost oh, yeah. path. And, you know, if you look at the map, you see that the stream actually flows down from the mountains of Mirkwood. That's nowhere near no. Dolgaldor. No, the mountains of Mirkwood are almost in, they're, they're pretty much the central part of the forest. Right. Uh, right. And, and the stream Dolgaldor flows is basically to the, the southern north. edge. Yeah. It's not even on the map in this book, I don't think. No, you, have, no, you have to look at the Lord of the Rings corner. map to find it. Yeah. yeah. So so I really am I'm starting to feel like the enchantment actually is coming from the elves. It might be an elvish defense. Yeah. And they just happen to be the unlucky people who've stumbled upon it. You know, I I have to tell you, I don't think I was there um, you know, a year ago. I don't think I was there even a month ago. But uh, you know, and as much as I would love to disagree with you, because that's so much more fun. It would it would make for such good drama. On it show, really would. You know? um, I, I have to say, I think you're right. I mean, you, you know, that like you said, it's what he dreams about mm-hmm. that tells you so much about the nature of this enchantment. The dream is part of the enchantment. It, yeah. Is it possible that the uh, falling asleep and forgetfulness is unrelated to the dream? And that, that there's kind of a combination of the two. Yeah. Yeah, that's possible. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Um, that's hard to separate that. It does, it, and it doesn't right, make any sense. Exactly. You know, right. because Tolkien really doesn't want us to confuse these two forces. Right. The good that's true. but you eerie. Talked, you talked yeah. last time about the two forces that right. are that are at war with each other. Yeah, we talked Olsen about how out. easy it is to confuse those. Yeah. It is. It is. And, you know, and it seems that Tolkien really takes pains to make sure we don't confuse them, mm-hmm. uh, at least if we're paying attention. And yeah. that tells me that this would have to be one or the other, not some weird combination. Um, I think you're right, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if it were not for the Elven King, would this have just been an ordinary river? Or, I mean, or an ordinary stream? Maybe not. Uh, but it certainly wouldn't have been the the stream that caused what Bomber experienced. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, you know, this, and, this... and remember, there was that boat. Yeah. There was that boat on the street. The, the elves definitely go there. I mean, this is yeah. definitely, you know, the, those those boats weren't just there to, you know, for hanging out. Those were those right. were boats involved in getting the elven party across the water for the hunt when when it was necessary. Right. Um, even though on the map, that's a very long way away from the Elven King's Halls. It is. Um, which I think is, though, is probably why I originally leaned towards... The idea that it came from either the forest itself or, from, you know, the kind of the infected forest, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, or from, from Sauron down in uh, Dol Guldur. But I, th- I think... But if I, you want to talk yeah. about far away, I mean, Sauron is much farther oh, away. Oh, much farther away. You know, I don't know. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm leaning this way. Uh, I'm, I'm really curious if anybody listening has found something definitive yes, on it. Yes, because we've looked. If someone looked. has, please, please send it to us. You know, we've looked. We haven't really found anything definitive, and so that's no. sort of left the door open I mean, for we've this, looked but... at, at Ratliff. We've looked through Anderson. Mm-hmm. We've looked through – I spent some time looking through, uh, uh, the you know, Hammond and Skull's Reader's Guide, mm-hmm. and there's nothing. Um, yeah. Nothing. Couldn't find anything yeah. on this. I looked so. in History of Middle Earth. There's not much on the Hobbit no, in History of Middle Earth, unfortunately. No, there's not much. But, but, you know, just – even just looking at references to Mirkwood, can't find anything. So, no. yeah, if anybody's got a better answer, let us know. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm leaning on this. Yeah, I agree. I'm leaning there, too. I mean, it, like I said, I think the only thing that might be that would be different would be a, a mix of the two. But that just seems so weird that I can't I can't buy that. It seems unnecessarily complicated. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is not what Tolkien's trying to do here. Right. 
So Bomber, boy, he's just, I mean, he's finally waking up. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, he, he, he wakes up and he realizes that, you know, five months have gone by since the last thing he can remember. And probably, well, let's see, six days at least since he's eaten anything. True. Uh, maybe longer than that. Uh, and mm-hmm. and he literally just wants to stop. I'm just going to lie here and sleep and dream of food. Yeah. <laughs> I hope I never wake up again. I mean, yeah. wow, yeah. it's pretty dark. That, that's where we see, I mean, I, I feel like that's where we see the true danger of the stream's enchantment. Yeah. It's it's not just that it causes forgetfulness, but it also causes a, causes a craving for that forgetfulness. Mm-hmm. You know, I want Bomber's, more forgetfulness. I want more dream more, and less reality. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, he's found this blissful oblivion and he wants to go back to it. Mm. Even after the immediate effect of the sleepiness wears off, he just he wants to go back to that place. Yeah, because this is not like five minutes later. I mean, I, I get that. You know, you wake up from a long sleep and it takes a long time to shake out the cobwebs. You know, and sometimes oh, sure, you yeah. just want to go right back to bed. But this mm-hmm. is th- this is the rest of the day. This they did all that day going yeah, very slowly point. and wearily. So, yeah. you know, this is hours later and uh, yeah. and he wants to wants to just lie down and sleep and dream. And never There's wake kind of up despair again. There isn't is, there. There is that that last line. That, I hope I never wake up again. Is is very yeah. despairing. Yeah, that we we don't see that word. We don't see the word despair itself. But we talk about hope and despair a lot in Tolkien's mm-hmm. work, and that definitely smacks of it. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, that, you know, there there is nothing I can do. So I'd rather just sleep. Yeah, and and know, never wake up. Else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like oh, let me sleep so at least I can have, you know, that that vision in my mind of some food and then, you know, I'll be strong enough to go on. It's like, no, I don't ever want to wake up again. Mm-hmm. Pretty, pretty incredibly dark. Yep. Um, Balin the lookout, <laughs> always paying attention. Uh, Good sees, old Balin. Yeah. You know, I mean, he sees a little bit of light. You know, they, they sit and start to discuss what are they going to do? <laughs> They're arguing. Okay. We're not <laughs> supposed to go off the road. Right. Don't leave the path. They were warned many times. Yeah. To stay on but the path. Four times, I think we counted. I think uh, something like three that. times from Gandalf and once from Bayorn. That sounds right. Don't leave the path. Uh, yeah. So of course they don't want to. You know, we, we're not supposed to go. We shouldn't do this. But they eventually come to the point where they realize yeah, it's great to not leave the road. But if we're corpses, then what does it matter? Uh, you yeah. know, starving to death isn't going to help. So, you know, let's go ahead and and. Uh, and head over there. It's funny. I love how they're going to send yeah. out a couple spies first, but nobody wants to go. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, goodness. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and read then what happens uh, when they when they get to this first, right, uh, first sight. After a good deal of creeping and crawling, they peered round the trunks and looked into a clearing where some trees had been felled and the ground leveled. There were many people there, elvish-looking folk, all dressed in green and brown, and sitting on sawn rings of the felled trees in a great circle. There was a fire in their midst, and there were torches fastened to some of the trees round about. But most splendid sight of all, they were eating and drinking and laughing merrily. The smell of the roast meats was so enchanting that without waiting to consult one another, every one of them got up and scrambled forwards into the ring with the one idea of begging for some food. No sooner had the first stepped into the clearing Then all the lights went out, as if by magic. Somebody kicked the fire, and it went up in rockets of glittering sparks and vanished. They were lost in a completely lightless dark, and they could not even find one another, not for a long time at any rate. After blundering frantically in the gloom, falling over logs, bumping crash into trees, and shouting and calling till they must have waked everything in the forest for miles, at last they managed to gather themselves in a bundle and count themselves by touch. 
Oh my! Oh my! Wow. Oh my! Um, what a, what an image! It is an image. You know, um, the lights suddenly going out, to the glittering sparks, sparks coming from, up from the, the fire. fire. Yeah, and then just panic, panic. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you know, you're not near the road. You're in this. Uh, well, they're in a clearing at least, uh, but they have True. to try to, you know, find each other. Mm. I'll notice something, though. Um, remember when we, we had that question recently from Tarek about um, uh, the green elves of uh, Osirian and how they didn't like the men because they were hewers of trees and hunters mm-hmm. of beasts? Uh, they're not just hunters of beasts here. We knew they were hunters of beasts because they were hunting the, 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 hunt, the hunting the heart right, earlier. Right. And we right. get here that the smell and, of the And we meats. even talked about the roast meats right. being proof that they're not vegetarians. Exactly. Yeah. But notice that the trees had been felled Saw in the ground level. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so they're hewers of that's trees right. and hunters of beasts. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's a good um, catch. Yeah, I hadn't noticed the trees before, I didn't think. Which, you know, that's interesting because given how Tolkien feels about trees. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that felling trees. To see the trees, elves actually sitting on, yeah. On, on tree stumps. On, on sawn up trees, yeah. Wow. As opposed to, you know, just sitting on. Well, I wonder, did it say? I mean, it doesn't say they felled it, but who else would have? But who else, yeah. I mean, I suppose it's possible that they could have, you know, just... Uh, just sawn up some some these trees are the trees that had, that had already died fallen in. Yeah, yeah possible could be we don't we don't know that no, though there's really no. no reason to believe that there is elves do use wood yeah and, yeah you know, well they, they would have do. used them for the fire if nothing else yeah uh, so they probably do cut down trees but yeah, yeah. But that's a good catch yeah that's interesting um I also couldn't help but think of an Arby's commercial, the smell of the roast meats so <laughs> Arby's <laughs> we've got the meats. <laughs> we wow. have the beats. Yeah. That dude, by the way, that that dude's got a voice for those ads. I'd like a large enchantment burger. I'd like a large. roast beef sandwich. Yeah. A large enchantment sandwich. Yes, please. A large Summon me one of those enchantment sandwiches. Yeah, why don't you with with some curly fries? Uh, uh, <laughs> so, um, I love the way the, the these elves are dressed. They're exactly how you'd expect them to be dressed in green and brown. Mm-hmm. There's a fire. They are eating and drinking and laughing. I, this it's is a delightful scene. It's a yeah. wonderful scene. It's it's you want to you want to be in that party. I want to be there. I want to be eating yeah. these wonderful roast yeah. meats. Yeah, I keep wanting to say meats. I'm like that's not a word. <laughs> roast meats. Well, it, it well, comes that's from like me talking about the meeses. Well, no, it ago. comes actually. I can tell you where it comes from. It, every Christmas, I read um, how the Grinch stole Christmas. Uh, oh, out roast loud. beast. Yeah, and it made me think yeah. of the roast beasts. Sure. And so yeah, that I, I get that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That that that's why I keep getting the S before yeah. the T. <laughs> yeah. And the Grinch. The Grinch himself carved the roast beast. Boy, we digress. Um <laughs> <laughs> We do. We do. You know, hey. I, I just absolutely The Grinch. The, you know, we go from this magical moment of seeing and smelling everything but tasting the one thing they need so close you know, they, to having they've got everything what they've else been craving. they can see yeah. it they can hear it they can smell it and just and one step gone, out gone yep. into nothing i mean just heartbreaking <laughs> and then terrifying as they're trying to find each other absolutely i mean they're 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 in again pitch dark yeah and now off the path and now off the path they're in a clearing so Good luck finding the way, you know, east again. Yeah, yeah. Have fun you with know, that. The way to the way to the road. I mean, or the way to the road, I guess I should say. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. Big, this big. This is not good. No. Now, they find each other and they realize, of course, hey, you know what? We just, let's not try to go anywhere. Let's settle down right here. 
and we'll wait for, that at least for was the smart. daylight. Oh, yeah. yeah, very smart. Yeah. Um, but you know that doesn't last long because then Dory sees because he's on watch. He sees mm-hmm. lights again, and there's more of them. Yeah. Uh, so this time, what is it? Scores of twinkling lights. I mean, scores. So yeah, there's scores. there's multiple twenties. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. sixty, yeah. eighty, a hundred. You know, twinkling lights. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I love that they're they're thinking this through a little bit more closely. Right now, they're in a single line. Single file line, each touching each, the back, yep. so they can stay. So they'll stay together. Yep, they won't get lost. Let's not get separated. Uh, and and then Thorin even thinks, well, you know, instead of well, of course they got weirded out. There were thirteen of us. Let's just send Bilbo in. He's not scary. They won't be frightened of <laughs> yeah, him. Nobody is frightened of him. <laughs> I, I love. love what about me of them? I love thought that. Bilbo. That's an awesome yeah. little insert from this from the narrator. To, yeah. to tell us yeah. that. Um, and then Thorin, like, well, I hope they won't do anything nasty to him. Yeah. Like, well, you know, they might, but... They might, but hey. They are in a desperate situation, to be fair. Probably least likely to be killed on sight. That's true. I mean, out of, the, out of the 13 of them, he is the least likely. Yeah, yeah. Certainly the least, yeah. least threatening. Yeah. But, of course, he couldn't And the get, least dwarfish. And the least, yeah, no beard. But he couldn't get his ring on, which I think that would have helped. Right. Yeah, because they pushed him from behind before he could get the <laughs> ring on. <laughs> would that Thanks have, a lot, guys. Would that have helped? Would that have helped? I I think it would. I mean... I think it would have. I don't think they would have noticed his presence there. Um, I think you're right. It would have been an interesting thing to see. But uh, So, yeah, so he doesn't get in. And now, and now you've got a passage to read that includes our favorite word. Oh, yes. All right. If it had been difficult collecting themselves before, it was far worse this time, Mm. and they simply could not find the hobbit. Every time they counted themselves, it only made thirteen. They shouted and called, Bilbo Baggins! Hobbit! You dreaded hobbit! Hi! Hobbit, confusticate you! Where are you? (laughs) And other things of that sort. But there was no answer. They were just giving up hope when Dory stumbled across him by sheer luck. In the dark, he fell over what he thought was a log, and he found it was the hobbit curled up fast asleep. It took a deal of shaking to wake him, and when he was awake, he was not pleased at all. I was having such a lovely dream, he grumbled, all about having a most gorgeous dinner. Good heavens, he has gone like Bomber, they said. Don't tell us about dreams. Dream dinners aren't any good, and we can't share them. They had the best I'm likely to get in this beastly place, he muttered as he lay down beside the dwarves and tried to go back to sleep and find his dream again. <laughs> Just like Bomber, he wants to go back to sleep right away. I mean, he, he's not despairing yeah. like Bomber did, but he, he clearly has a craving for that mm-hmm. for that dream. Um, and this, now that I'm reading it again, this, uh, this I think, just kind of um, kind of secures it for me that the, the enchantment yeah. comes from the elves yeah, because the same right. thing is happening to Bilbo. And he's, you know, he did not... He didn't get into the water, right. He got this directly from the elves. Yeah, it is an elvish enchantment. You're absolutely right. It it would have to be. Now, in his case, he was able to be woken up, whereas Bomber couldn't be. That is true. Now, so that's where it's like, okay, well, you know, the the stream makes the enchantment stronger. Maybe so, yeah. You know, I mean, this is just, uh, um, I don't even know how he was enchanted in this case, but certainly it's an elvish enchantment. You're right about that. Yeah. Um, you just imagine the, the whole thing is kind of comical. Oh, just it the, is. the way complete darkness fell. There, you there, you almost imagine the puff of smoke. Yeah, <laughs> you really can. It's gone. <laughs> um, and I, I love this. Dory stumbled across Bilbo by sheer luck. Oh, good catch! Luck again. And of course, mm-hmm. it wasn't luck. But you know, because they they have to have they have to find Bilbo because Bilbo's the only one who's going to be able to get him out of what comes next. But uh, right. um, what a moment! 
what a moment. Yeah. And he's absolutely ticked. Like, don't wake me up. I'm enjoying my dream very much. Um, yeah. And, yeah. and I don't want being awake. There's no point to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dream dinners are the best thing I'm going to get here. Yeah. So my goodness. Yeah. And we got to we got to give a shout out to the word confusticate. Yes. Love that I word. I did say, I promised that I would point it out when it came again. Yep. This is it. This is sadly the last occurrence of this word in The Hobbit. Uh, or I think the legendarium, yeah. probably, to be fair. I may be wrong, probably, but I don't think yeah. it shows up in The Lord of the Rings. I don't I don't think we're – maybe in a line of Sam dialogue, but I, I can't remember it. Yeah, if I don't it think is. so. I could, I could look that up pretty quick, but I doubt it. And I'm pretty sure it doesn't appear in The Children of Hurin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's a tone issue right there, isn't there? (laughs) Yeah. Oh goodness. (laughs) Just imagine Glaurung, you know, casting his spell on Neonor. Neonor was confusticated. Confusticate you, daughter of Hurin. (laughs) Oh goodness. You shall be flabbergasted. You shall be flabbergasted. Oh goodness, I I love that. I, I I think it would be hilarious to take some of these moments and. And redo the tone, right? Take that, Silmarillion yeah. in the tone of the Hobbit, or, or vice versa. Do it versa. in the tone of the Hobbit. We talked about Tolkien doing the Hobbit in the tone of the Lord of the Rings, right. or trying to do that later on. Yeah, that would be hilarious would to be. try and see, like doing. Maybe, like, maybe there's another idea for another prancing pony pondering. Yeah, <laughs> rewrite a, a bit paragraph of and done in a. Uh, oh man, don't don't tempt me. <laughs> do not tempt me, Frodo. <laughs> don't tempt me, Frodo. <laughs> Oh, oh man. goodness. Good stuff. That's great. I love it. You know, in the original manuscript, you know, we talked about this last time that how in the original manuscript, the, the stream wasn't even there and the heart and the deer. Mm-hmm. Um, right. In that original manuscript, it was Thorin, who, of course, was then named Gandalf because that's not confusing. Um, yeah, not at all. Who went out and, and, and into this second set of lights. Uh, and then it was Bilbo who fell over what seemed a log. And Thorin, or Gan- uh, I'm sorry, Thorin, who was named Gandalf, <laughs> had also had right. the dream about the feast. Um, now, this was the, the first occurrence of this originally because of the dream, because the Enchanted River was something that appeared later. Oh, so he right. did get okay. the enchantment in. That mm-hmm. You know what? That absolutely clinches it. That clinches. Right. 100% yeah. clinches that it is yeah. an Elvish it enchantment. It is an Elvish enchantment. I think you're absolutely right. Because in the first draft, the enchantment happened. There was no river. There was no and river. The only occurrence of the enchantment was yeah. the elves. Yeah, it's yeah. elves. So I thought that was fascinating, though that that was uh, that mm-hmm. it was Thorin himself who had gone out uh, in that in that second set of lights, and that Bilbo found yeah. him by luck. I mean, it, it virtually reads the same uh, that Bilbo stumbled across him by sheer luck and things like that. Interesting. I wonder. I mean, I'm glad he changed it because oh, yeah, obviously yeah. It, it, it gives Bilbo something. to Well, do. right, and Thorin Bilbo goes out gradually in the stepping into the hero role. Yeah. I wonder what what he was thinking by having Thorin do it in the first place. Yeah, though of or course Gandalf. it was Gandalf. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm glad he changed it too. I know that uh, Ratliff has quite extensive notes on that, so it might be worth looking into. I'll have to go back and look yeah. into that a little bit. So I'm going to go ahead uh, as as they see the lights for the third time. Third time's a charm, uh, and this time it's not just lights. Now they hear singing and harps because you know the party's just got to get better. Uh, this is actually yeah. what they don't tell you. This is the after party. <laughs> this is this, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's it's two o'clock in the morning. The party's you know, they've moved on to another location. Yeah, yeah. they they've brought their own now because uh, all the bars at the first and second clearing they closed. Right. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. I'm gonna go ahead and pick up. Up they got again, and this time the result was disastrous. 
the feast that they now saw was greater and more magnificent than before. And at the head of a long line of feasters sat a woodland king with a crown of leaves upon his golden hair, very much as Bomber had described the figure in his dream. The elvish folk were passing bowls from hand to hand and across the fires, and some were harping, and many were singing. Their gleaming hair was twined with flowers. Green and white gems glinted on their collars and their belts, and their faces and their songs were filled with mirth. Loud and clear and fair were those songs, and out stepped Thorin into their midst. Dead silence fell in the middle of a word. Out went all light. The fires leaped up in black smokes. Ashes and cinders were in the eyes of the dwarves, and the wood was filled again with their clamor and their cries. Bilbo found himself running round and round, as he thought, and calling and calling, Dory! Nori! Ori! Owen! Glowen! Feely! Keely! Bomber! Biffer! Bofer! Dwalin! Balin! Thorin Oakenshield! While people he could not see or feel were doing the same all around him, with an occasional Bilbo thrown in. But the cries of the others got steadily further and fainter, and though after a while it seemed to him they changed to yells and cries for help in the far distance, all noise at last died right away, and he was left alone in complete silence and darkness. Wow, wow, wow. The, just the, the utter bewilderment they must be feeling. Unbelievable. Yeah. Or, Running around in the, in the dark. Yeah, with the ashes and the smoke. And, yeah. And now Bilbo, total silence. And just hearing this clamor of voices, your friends' voices calling your name and the, name, the same names you're calling. And they're going away. That must, be the, mm-hmm. that must have been such a, a hard moment to hear those voices going yeah. further and further away mm-hmm. and realizing you're losing them. And then to hear them at the very end calling out for help, and then there's silence. Mm-hmm. Um, Whew, creepy. But let's go back to the beginning of that, because the description of the scene is beautiful. I mean... Great and magnificent indeed. Tolkien uses these words. Yeah. And man. Yeah. And, and it is lovely. What a moment. What a... You, yeah. you thought you wanted to be part the of this king. party before. Mm. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And now, I mean, you know, the image of the king with the crown of leaves upon his hair... Mm-hmm. Uh, and and very and you know they recognize this figure from Bomber right. talking to you know, talking about his dream. I mean, here is a you know, this king from a dream yeah. has come to life in front of yeah. you. Um, the passing the bowls from hand to hand. I love that because is it's a reminder that you know as as treacherous as this this whole experience is and as as much danger as they're in. You know, remember these are elves. Yeah, and. As we'll read later in the chapter, that's good people. Yep, I love that. And so we see, you know, they're sharing their bowls. We see their beauty. We see the mirth. Oh, yeah, and the uh, music. See, you know, mm. their, their songs are clear and fair. Um, I think there's also something a, interesting here with the gems. The green and white gems glinted on their collars and their belts. Oh, that's a good catch, yeah. Yeah, you know, what we'll find out yeah. later about the elven king and his, his love of, passion of gems, for gems. Yeah, yeah. There's just so much beauty oh, in this really scene is. and so much, so much happiness and joy in this scene. And that has got to just be brutal for them mm-hmm. that they can't participate in this. You know, there's so much, so much pleasure yeah. that the elves are, are having, well, and, you know, and enjoying. There's right a linguistic thing that, that happens here that I love too. I mean, what I see here in this description of the party is just a ton of life, right? I think it's not yeah. an accident. He could have chosen to start that next paragraph with total silence fell in the middle of a word or just silence fell in the middle of a word. Mm. I think there's a reason 
not a reason, but I think there's a, a an artistic reason, a linguistic reason why he uses the for word for saying dead silence. Dead silence. Because here we've just been given this description of something that sounds so very alive. So much life. Exactly. Yeah. So much life. And and then you get this transition that out stepped Thorn into their midst, dead silence fell in the middle of a word. And now you get these short right. sentences yeah. of out went all light. The fires leaped up in black smoke. And that's one, two, three, four sentences in that tiny little paragraph. Yeah. You know, whereas up up four, three, I'm counting, you've got there's semicolons. four sentences in the previous. You've got a double, you've got a sentence with two semicolons. Right, right. In it. From the, <laughs> in the, you know, it's long sentences. It's yeah. A, it's this long, drawn out, exactly. very, uh, very elaborate, very kind of, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? I don't know. It's it's just a very. Um, Full. Um, Full and kind of. Sen- it's sensory scene. Yes, you know? yes, you're right. It, it definitely draws in the senses. You start to see this. You can start to hear these things. You can start to kind of mm-hmm. smell the food. And uh, it, it's very, like you said, very sensory oriented. Uh, and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden it's sensory deprivation, you know? Yeah. So. Uh, no light. And we end with complete silence Fired and up. darkness. Mm-hmm. So You're right. Yeah. Powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. And yet... And yet Bilbo, Bilbo continues to amaze, doesn't he? You've got the next reading. He does, and it's yeah. it's a really, really important passage. In fact, this may be the most important passage that we've come across so far, I think. Uh, yeah. In terms I mean, of Bilbo's it's, development, it's, right. It's it's definitely top two. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> think, yeah you're you right. Know, I mean, the ring may, is, is right may, there. Maybe another Chapter 5 moment, but, but this one... I'll read it in just yeah. a moment, but I mean, we'll see just how much more determination and resourcefulness mm-hmm. he has. He's kind of less, um, he's kind of less out of options and he's just choosing the right. Option. That's exactly right. Whereas I think in chapter five, it was, what else is he going to do? He has no right. other choice. Right. So with no further ado, let me go yeah. ahead and read it. That was one of his most miserable moments, but he soon made up his mind that it was no good trying to do anything till day came with some little light and quite useless to go blundering about tiring himself out with no hope of any breakfast to revive him. So he sat himself down with his back to a tree, and not for the last time fell to thinking of his far distant hobbit hole with its beautiful pantries. Mm. He was deep in thoughts of bacon and eggs and toast and butter when he felt something touch him. Something like a strong, sticky string was against his left hand, and when he tried to move he found that his legs were already wrapped in the same stuff, so that when he got up, he fell over. Then the great spider, who had been busy tying him up while he dozed, came from behind him and came at him. He could only see the thing's eyes, but he could feel its hairy legs as it struggled to wind its abominable <laughs> threads round and round him. I know, man. Oh. Yeah, what, was, what were you saying about no fear of spiders? Well, okay, regular spiders. Ha- yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I don't mind yeah. regular spiders I can step on. Oh, you can be forgiven for... You know, being afraid of these kinds of spiders. I'd probably be afraid of like, all the spiders in Australia because I hear they're, you know, there they have like, you know, this is platter-sized like spiders. Mega, yeah, this is like megaloarachnophobia. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> giant spider fear. Yeah, which is a good thing that there are no giant spiders, so. Yes, except in Australia. Well, yeah. But not, but not this no, giant. not this big, thank goodness. It was lucky that he had come to his senses in time. Soon he would not have been able to move at mm. all. As it was, he had a desperate fight before he got free. He beat the creature off with his hands. It was trying to poison him to keep him quiet, as small spiders do to flies, until he remembered his sword and drew it out. Then the spider jumped back, 
and he had time to cut his legs loose. After that, it was his turn to attack. The spider evidently was not used to things that carried such stings at their sides, or it would have hurried away quicker. Bilbo came at it before it could disappear, and stuck it with his sword right in the eyes. Then it went mad and leaped and danced and flung out its legs in horrible jerks, until he killed it with another stroke. And then he fell down and remembered nothing more for a long while. My goodness. What an incredible moment. I, I gotta say, I, I'm still stuck on... Um Deep in thoughts of bacon and eggs and toast and butter. I could do that all day. I am always deep in thoughts bacon of bacon and eggs and, eggs and, toast, and toast and butter. Um, yeah, creepy, creepy, creepy moments. I mean, feeling its hairy legs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. just chills. I think it's fascinating that Tolkien gives it its name before Bilbo gives it its name. When he says that the spider mm. wasn't used to things that carried used such, to things, stings such stings at their sides. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's a good point. That's, that's really intriguing, such a little reveal. Uh, but, but Bilbo. It's a, great, it's a great flip of prey to predator. It really is. And he's doing something different. You know, we, we talked about the similarities with Chapter 5 uh, in terms of the significance of the moment. And, and that mm-hmm. may still be the case that this isn't any more significant, but it is different because – in the goblin tunnels, he was trying to escape the darkness. Here, he is actively trying to defeat the darkness. He's taking the fight to yes. the enemy. Um, yes, you're with a bravery right. that that certainly would have never been imagined by the original Bilbo Baggins, who left the Shire that early made you know day. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, he remembers the sword, and you know, in, in chapter five, remembering the sword, I think, is a big. Is a big. Step, it is. It's you know, a huge step to to begin. You know, with. he remembered it in chapter five, but it seemed to be like mm-hmm. he felt like, oh, it would make him. Well, you know, the 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 goblins don't like this sword, so at least nobody will will attack me. Right here, right. instead of being sort of, he was thinking of it as a sort of as a yeah, a defense, like a, like a exactly like a defense, but not even like a deterrent. A deterrent. Really. That's a much better word, right? Yeah. And here, it is a weapon. It is a full blown, mm-hmm. no hesitation, no doubt weapon. Um, yeah. Yeah. Really cool moment. And that's why I love the comparison to the fly. Yes. You talked about the sting. You know, he's this, you know, he's, he, and that's what I said. He, he starts as the prey. Yeah, he was the he fly. Was. He was being wrapped up like the, in, in poison. Yeah. But, but this fly's got a weapon. Yes, he does. And it stings. And it does. Uh, it, it's good thing there's not another spider around, though, because after he kills this one, he faints. <laughs> so <laughs> that, there is that. Something very baggins about is, that. Isn't I there. Think. Um, it's got this great moment. Yeah. <laughs> and then, oh, Oh, got a case well, of the vapors. <laughs> I mean, I can see the Martin Freeman thing now, you know, where he just kind of, nope. And then he falls oh, yeah. down. <laughs> Martin Freeman could, could do like a, a could do a Brilliant fall faint, like yeah. nobody. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, what? An but yeah, I mean, moment. like you said, this really is a big, big change for Bill yeah. Lowe. And um, what's the next? Uh, exp- is it Fierce. Fierce That's bold? exactly right. In fact, we're not going to read the passage, but we'll, we'll read little bits and pieces, that this killing that he did all on his own without the wizard, without the dwarves, made mm-hmm. a great difference to Mr. Baggins. He felt yes, a different person and much fiercer and bolder in spite of an empty stomach. Mm-hmm. That fierceness is is really big. It is. You know, I, I thought that word might be significant. I could remember it being used before. Uh, I thought it might have been used somewhere in Chapter 5, but it wasn't. I did a word search on it. Back in chapter one, and I love this, this was after he'd been called, um, no, this was, this was not quite the grocer scene, but it was in that same, it was in the unexpected party. 
and, he, and Bilbo felt that he would go without bed and breakfast to be thought fierce. To be thought mm. fierce. It was important then that he be fierce in somebody else's eyes, even if he was not fierce. To appear fierce, even though he's Here, not nobody really. sees him. Here, he's not fierce mm-hmm. in anybody's eyes, but he is fierce. Right? I mean, yeah, that's it, a it is catch. no longer about his image. It is about his nature. It's about his ability to be fierce when necessary. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's really big. That's a really good yeah. catch. And we're reminded of his empty stomach. Right. So, in spite of. You know, we're reminded that he actually has gone without mm-hmm. bed and breakfast. Yeah. In, in spite of the and, Bagginsy thing. Mm-hmm. And that is pretty funny because, you know, it doesn't say to Bilbo. The, the narrator says a great difference to Mr. Baggins. Um, right. You yeah. mentioned what an interesting catch that or what an interesting twist that was. Yeah. Because. Because he, he's referred to as Mr. Baggins at his most tookish moment. Exactly. That he I mean, has why not just call him Bilbo book. there? But I think that's there right. on purpose to give us that contrast. I think yeah. it is. Yeah, he's he's giving us that, that contrast. And I think a few, epi- a few episodes and a few chapters ago, I talked about uh, breaking the Baggins. Yes. Well, now he's like, he's releasing the toque. Yes. You know, release, release the toque. And and he yeah he does and and I think that you're right that and we were talking about this the narrator is drawing yeah. attention to the fact that he may be Mr. Baggins but this is a very different this person. is a very different person and and it's made a great difference to him this this ability to do mm-hmm. something on his own has changed yeah. how he views himself uh, yeah and and then of course there's the very cool moment where he actually names the sword the naming Sting. of the sword and I I Such love significance to that there's a um. Yeah. Yeah. I think here's a place where I think Corey Olson had a really great observation in his book. He says that Bilbo marks the occasion in a style very typical of Tolkien's fiction by the granting of a new name. Mm-hmm. And, and that name is, is you know, reflective of the fact that he he was the prey. He was the fly. But he stung yeah. back. Well, you're right, because, and you know, you think about super cool. other swords that get renamed. You know, uh, yeah. you get Narsil becomes Anduril. You get... Mm-hmm. Um, Oh, Anglicale becomes uh, becomes Gorthang. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure there are more, but those are the yeah. two that come to mind. It's a it's a it's sort of a turning point. It's kind of a it's almost a rite of passage for Bilbo as a hero. Yeah. Oh think. yeah, this is that moment, you know, isn't it? It's a it's he's he's graduated. It's like Luke Skywalker making his own lightsaber. Yes, he's <laughs> he's graduated. To the point. Your skills are now complete. There you go. You do wonder, though, uh, about the name of the sword. Did he clear that with Gordon Sumner? Just wondering. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he sent him a message in a bottle. Oh, you know, well played. <laughs> well you. played. Such synchronicity in that response. I know, yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> did, but did that just Gordon go didn't right get the message because he was... No, oh, no, okay, no. I wasn't sure. I got it. <laughs> Gordon, Gordon didn't get the message because he was walking on the moon. Oh. Oh my goodness! This is going to keep on going, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Every little thing we do is magic. Oh Alan, you know my! That. G- you know what? I was going there, but you did it. <laughs> now I'm just trying to figure out. You know, maybe he should have named the sword Roxanne. <laughs> okay, I <laughs> see. That's a really big digression. We're just gonna. You don't have to put on the blue light. <laughs> see, we could do this all night. It's all great. night long, folks. All night. Oh, goodness. Boy, is Mythmoot going to be fun or what? We're, we're going to have so much fun. I, I hope that uh, some of you folks you know, listening to us now can join us at Mythmoot when we go in June because uh, the digressions in a live show where we can't, <laughs> where we can't push the button and say we're going to edit that. Where we can't edit if it's a, if it's a, a silly one. Yeah. yeah. 
That's going to be Not like fun. we've ever been too shy about really silly well, digressions. Well, no, because then we just turn them into bloopers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, now he he goes ahead and um, now that he's he's feeling fiercer and bolder uh, and he's given his sort of name, he decides to, to take action. And that's another kind of big yeah. thing that Bilbo well, decides to I do. I think it's interesting that the first thing he does is he sets out to explore. Yeah. Yeah, get get, a, get an idea of his surroundings. Figure out where he is. Mm-hmm. He's got to find his friends. Uh, figure out you know what's gone what's gone on with them. Mm-hmm. And he knows he has to do it quietly. Yeah, he felt that it was unsafe to shout. So mm-hmm. of course he's lamenting yep. why you know why didn't we stay on the path? Uh, but you know the reality well, he is himself. You know yeah. they were probably going to die without food anyway. Yeah. as they said. Yeah, they really. I mean, certainly within a matter of days. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he just, you know, I love this. Before the passage that I'm going to read next, we get this little line that, in the end, he made as good a guess as he could, and by luck, he was born with a good share of it. He guessed more or less right, as you will see. That's, oh, that's so cool, cool yeah. being born with a good share of luck. The innate Hobbit luck. The in, yeah, yeah, exactly. Or Bilbo luck, not not Hobbits, but Bilbo specifically. Bilbo specifically. And again, it just seems like there's some outside force shaping his destiny, and that that mm-hmm. luck is a big part of that. Um, and yep. yet he still has to do the thing because even though he has, he has to get, yeah. he has to make the right decisions. Exactly. He has to, he has to be resourceful. Well, and he has, he to, has to execute to... it. You know, he, he may have guessed mm-hmm. more or less right, but now that he's made up his mind, he has to do the thing. He has to creep along cleverly. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he has to slip on his ring cause he's smart enough to remember that he has it. And then we get to the next passage. Yeah. So I'm... he has to, and you know, the sword, mm-hmm. we think of the times that he's, he forgets the sword until he remembers it. He has to actually, he has to remember it and he has to use it. Yeah. He, has to, he has to think of the right thing to do at the right time. That's exactly right. So he does have to accomplish. Even though he has the luck, mm-hmm. he still has to yep. do. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and read the next passage then. Okay. He had picked his way stealthily for some distance when he noticed a place of dense black shadow ahead of him. Black even for that forest, like a patch of midnight that had never been cleared away. As he drew nearer, he saw that it was made by spider webs, one behind and over and tangled with another. Suddenly he saw, too, that there were spiders, huge and horrible, sitting in the branches above him. And ring or no ring, he trembled with fear lest they should discover him. Standing behind a tree, he watched a group of them for some time, and then, in the silence and stillness of the wood, he realized that these loathsome creatures were speaking one to another. Their voices were a sort of thin creaking and hissing, but he could make out many of the words that they said. They were talking about the dwarves. It was a sharp struggle, but worth it, said one. What nasty thick skins they have, to be sure. But I'll wager there's good juice inside. Aye, they'll make fine eating when they've hung a bit, said another. Don't hang them too long, said a third. They're not as fat as they might be. Been feeding none too well of late, I should guess. Kill him, I say, hissed a fourth. Kill him now and hang him dead for a while. They're dead now, I'll warrant, said the first. That they're not. I saw one a-struggling just now. Just coming round again, I should say, after a beautiful sleep. I'll show you. 
<laughs> Somehow they managed to be worse than the trolls. Well, yeah, I think there's, there's more evil. Yeah. I think there's a, a more, I mean. And they're less humanoid, you know, they're They are, that's true. They are spiders and that makes them creepier and more evil just by mm-hmm. their very nature. But also um, the trolls were a little silly. You know, they were silly. Yeah. They, they were very humanoid. They wear clothes. They're sitting right. around a fire. Drinking grog. Drinking you know. grog. These are spiders in the dark. It's, yeah, it's much creepier. Much. And, yeah, I mean, there's, at one point, William's kind of like, well, let him go, you know? Well, no, oh, that's yeah. in the movies, yeah. right? Or is that, is the let it go no, in the poor, movies? No, yeah, poor little blighter, you know. Poor yeah. little blighter. Yeah, that's in the yeah. book. See, that's the yeah. thing about the movies that I don't like. Mm-hmm. The books may remain inviolate, but not in my memory. <laughs> um, it is easy to confuse. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. know, he was willing to let Seems, him go. Mm-hmm. He was like, eh, we're not going to get much out of him, you know? Yeah. The spiders would never do that. Right, yeah. Um, there's something, yeah, the comical nature of the trolls makes them a little less terrifying. Yeah, yeah. The spiders have none of that comic nature. None. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think Tolkien is gradually getting to the point where he's less interested in sanitizing mm-hmm. the, the the scary parts. Yeah. Yeah. Like we talked about earlier. You know, he's, yeah. he's not doing that as much. He has to because this is the scary moment. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This chapter, this portion of the of the deal is the terrifying bit for kids, I'm sure. Yeah. I wonder what my – well, he's not six yet, but he'll be six by the time we get to this chapter. <laughs> I wonder <laughs> how he's going to respond. We just started reading The Hobbit uh, last night, actually. Oh, really? We finished the – yeah, we finished The Chronicles of Narnia up, and uh, cool. now we're moving on to The Hobbit. So, Yeah, we took a we took a break from Narnia. My, my son was kind of ready for something different. Yeah. I, think. I guess he's, we took he, a break, too. We still my son's younger than go. yours. I, there's, you know, there's things he's just not, not quite getting. Yeah, you know. yeah, and that's why we skipped the last battle for now. It's just too allegorical, mm, yeah. uh, a little too heavy, um, and we figured, you know, after reading all the others, he'd enjoy a break. We're going to read The Hobbit, and then we'll see what happens in yeah. the last battle later on. And I have read The Hobbit to my son, but again, when he was younger, when he was he, younger, he picks up on a few things, but there's a lot that he doesn't. So yeah, yeah, we'll see what he. I, I don't expect him to follow along with the Prancing Pony podcast, though. No, <laughs> um, I love this description. He doesn't have to. He doesn't have to know how true and a true and just yet. No, <laughs> how true and a true. Give him some time on that one. Yeah, exactly. I'm not, not until asking. you're 11. There you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's gonna be a long time before you're reading Children of Hurin. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, you know, I love this description of the of the darkness. This is you know you talked about Ungoliant, and this reminds me of that. That this place of dense black shadow, black even for that forest. Like mm-hmm. a patch of midnight that had never been cleared away. Wow. Well, yeah, you know, yeah. that reminded me so much of Ungoliant that I went back to the text and to see how she was described way back in episode 15, the, the text in that chapter talked about she sucked up all light that she could find and spun it forth again in dark nets of strangling gloom mm-hmm. until no light more could come to her abode. Yeah. You know, I think there's a clear parallel there. Oh, yeah. And, you know, even though we do get a a more mundane explanation for the, you know, the spider webs blocking out the light, but still the parallel is is intentional. The parallels there, definitely. Yeah. Uh, And, and of course, you know, Sheila was described in similar terms in The Two Towers. You've got a a quote. Yeah. And I I think it's it's worth pointing out that we actually find out in The Two Towers that these spiders are actually the children of Sheila. Mm -hmm. Yes, they are. Um, So actually from the chapter Shelob's Lair, which is chapter nine of book four, it says... Far and wide, her lesser broods, bastards of the miserable mates, her own offspring that she slew, spread from glen to glen, from the Ethel Duath to the eastern hills. 
to Dol Guldur and the fastnesses of Mirkwood. But none could rival her, Shelob the Great, last child of Ungoliant to trouble the unhappy world. <sighs> and you so, know, as many times as we've read that passage, probably, it's only just now as we were discussing this just before the show. Right before recording. The, right, the, that I recognized yeah. that the, the mates were her own offspring. Yeah. So she was, you know, having these these baby spiders they'd grow up and she'd mate with them she'd slay them yeah and she'd make more and then those would grow up and she'd mate with them and then she'd slay them yeah yeah uh so these these spiders in mirkwood are not only her children they're her grandchildren and great grandchildren depending on Mm. depending on her line the the lesser one so there's yeah there's some a few generations of uh inbreeding and creepy to to create these but yeah it's very very creepy yeah and a good reminder that, you know, Shelob herself is a child of Ungoliant. Yeah. And I think in that context, because we see this other thing about the offspring, uh, that she really is a child, not an offspring, not like a descendant, but I, literally yeah, first agree, generation yeah. descendant of Ungoliant. I agree. I think she is the daughter of Ungoliant. Yeah. 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 The eldest daughter, probably. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, well, or maybe the youngest, since she's the or last child. maybe the child. youngest, since she's the last one. Yeah. I don't know. Thank she goodness is there's nasty. not others troubling the unhappy world. Yeah, but what a description of these spiders. You know, it, I, I got to say this. We, he hears them talk about the dwarves, and then, you know, he's going to do something here in a little bit. But it, it made me think of chapter six. Remember when he escapes the goblin tunnels? Bilbo stops and thinks that he might have to go back in there for the dwarves. And oh, he yeah. decides he's that he's feeling going very to. Miserable, miserable, right. Miserable about it. He knows I, his duty. I can't talk. You know what I'm trying to say. I do. He knows his he duty, so he's going to do it. it. Yeah. yeah. Well, here. He doesn't have to – he's not thinking about it. He has to actually go do it mm-hmm. now that he knows that the spiders have the dwarves and are about to eat them. It's now That's his true, turn. Yeah. yeah. So this yeah. takes that moment and amps it up again even more. That's true. Yeah. This, yeah. Is a, this is similar to that moment but just magnified in so many ways. Exactly. Exactly. I think that's why – I see so many parallels. I mean, that's one mm-hmm. of the reasons why I see so many parallels with Chapter 5 and this, you know, in yeah. terms of the, the turning point and the moment the, the, the moment of importance for Bilbo. Well, and I think that is key to understanding why it's more significant than Chapter 5. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I said top two. Eh, this, I think you're probably right. I think this is number one. I mean, the ring is the most significant thing he finds. It's the most significant right. It's a turning moment. point in his career. But this is a change in him as a person. Yeah, yeah. He's a different person now. Mm-hmm. Yep. The ring did not make him a different person yet. Right. Uh, you know, it, it simply was a, a trinket that enabled him to do something. A but tool it didn't that he learned him. how to use quickly. Yeah. You know? And thankfully, he learned how to use it before this moment because now we're about to find out, <laughs> yeah. you know, how he uses it. Yeah. I do have to say I love what he finds when he finds the dwarves. I love this description of mm-hmm. it's it's horrifying. And it even says Bilbo was horrified. But it's also yeah. a little adorable. Like it's a little silly. Like dwarf <laughs> it feet is a little silly, sticking out it? of the sticking out of the bundles and tip, you know, of, a tip nose. of a nose, a bit of a beard. It, there's something kind of something kind of uh, charming. Yeah, slightly about comical. It. Yeah. Slightly comical. Yeah. I think. Uh, I wonder if that's a, a little bit of trying to sanitize to deflect from the horror. Maybe you know. Maybe uh, certainly the Alan Lee illustration is kind of comical. Uh, oh of, yeah, of the, yeah. You know they're all tied up in the spider webs. Yeah. I mean, it's only funny because it's not me. <laughs> I yeah. mean, really, let's be clear. It's only funny because I'm nowhere near it. Yeah, I am not anywhere near that much spider web. I get freaked out when, like, a little bit of spider web is on my leg, right? Or, you know, the worst thing is I, I'll open the garage and I'll walk out, and as I walk out, I, I get a spider web in the face. 
that frustrating. Oh, yeah. That's like, uh, and you start to kind of dance <laughs> around, get this thing off me, get this thing off me. And it's like one tiny little spider web that nobody can even see. And you yeah, just look like a fool in front funny. of your neighbors. Now we know your weakness. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. But can you imagine um, being tied I mean, I don't up like with, it. Don't get me wrong. No, I don't like no. it, but yeah. Um, you know, but but I'm just trying to compare that one single strand to... to compared to what Bilbo's feeling and just how brave he is to, yeah. to be facing this. Yeah. No wonder he's horrified. Yeah. Ugh. So, um, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll, we won't read this, or at least we won't read the whole thing, but we'll touch briefly on the, the, some of the things that we learned that Bilbo's skilled at, right? We know that he's mm-hmm. skilled at throwing stones, um, and then he spent a deal of his time at Quoit's dart throwing, shooting at the wand, bowls, right. nine pins, and other quiet games of the aiming and throwing sort. Uh, I did just a now quick... You've, you've done the work of looking all these up for I us, I right? did. Well, I didn't look up... Which one did I not look up? I didn't look up dart throwing. I figured everybody knows what I dart throwing is. I think that one's is. pretty straightforward, yeah. yeah. Um, Coits is like the ring toss um, or horseshoes. There's a, a little post and you have to try to get the thing as close to it as possible. Okay, uh, so yeah, that one that. I do know. I've heard of that one. And then that's coits. I want to make sure you don't pronounce an extra syllable in there because that's not a good thing. We're just going <laughs> to leave go that there. right there. Coits. Yeah. And it's pronounced like K-W, coits. How do you, coits. That's, that's a really hard thing to pronounce properly. It is. Um, shooting at the wand, that involves a bow and shooting at a narrow slat of wood. So there's there's this vertical strip that's very narrow and the, the the archer is then tasked with trying to strike that piece of wood. So, uh, you know, it's a little tall so that there's a little variance in terms of range, but you've got to hit that left to right uh, deal. You know, it's very narrow. And that's called shooting at the wand. Okay. Um, from what I could gather, that may actually have its origins in the kind of practice that, that uh, longbowmen would engage. Because, you know, when they would attack a castle, uh, you know, the, with the fenestrated top at the, you know, at the edge there and the, the top of the castle. And you'd have sometimes those little slats that the archers would use from inside the keep to fire down. Those would be, okay. you know, two or three inches wide or maybe six inches wide. Uh, that would be the target then because the archers from the outside would still have to shoot into that tiny little slat. Right. So right. shooting at the yeah. wand was a way to practice shooting at that to narrow target. To practice getting it into that little arrow slit. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, bowls. Bowls is just lawn bowling. So that's pretty okay, straightforward. Sure. Nine pins uh, is is actually it's from what I could tell it either is or is related to something called skittle, and it's the predecessor yeah. of traditional ten pin bowling. It turns out it's still very popular in Europe. Uh, the ball is smaller than a bowling ball uh, and has no holes, so you just hold it. It looks like it's probably I can't tell for sure, but it looks like it's about the size of a uh, of a softball. Um, the pins are placed in a diamond pattern, and there are some other differences. Each of the pins has their own name. I think the middle one's called a redhead or something like that. Uh, oh, so, that's kind of awesome. Yeah, that is pretty cool. Um, so that's the, apparently. I thought it was hard to remember, like what which number is which, like what's yeah. the seven pin, what's the ten I pin. No, like, exactly. Now you seven, have to actually split. Remember, remember names. Now you got to remember. Oh man, I didn't get the redhead knocked down. Right. That doesn't sound right at all. Um, <laughs> Just thinking of Pirates of the Caribbean, and we want the redhead. We want. I was reading, and I guess it's probably about time they're, they're getting rid of that. They are, yeah. yeah. They're they're in the process of. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think they'll be closing. They're either closing them down or they're going to close them down soon. Yeah, they're going to get rid of. I mean, the ride will still be there, but they're getting rid of the. They're the they're changing that auction. part. Yeah. Yeah. The they're bridal gonna, auction is going to be gone. Yeah, they're going to change the bridal auction and change some of the dialogue and change the costumes. You know, stuff. I remember when they changed it and had the women chasing the men. 
Um, well, that was probably changed at least 10 years ago. Um, and now, now they're changing that too. It's, mm-hmm. it's very interesting, but, uh, you know, I'll just leave that all there. Uh, it makes yeah. sense in today's Keep, keeping up with the times and, you know, yeah, these I were pirates it. though. I mean, this, that's the thing. I know. I know. I had the we're same conversation 21st with my wife century sensibilities ago, to, you know, know, characters in the 1800s. I just, I, don't I know. know, but at the same point, I mean, it's still a 20th century depiction of pirates. Yeah, and, it is. You're you know. right. You're right. But my wife and I had the exact same conversation either yesterday or earlier today because I believe it. You know, she's a pretty mm-hmm. big Disney fan, so we, Huge we Disney talk fan. about these things. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, but, maybe she should do a podcast with my wife on Disney stuff. Hmm. There you go. <laughs> and then we'd never see them again. Right. Uh, <laughs> because so they'd record on a different night from us. They would. They would. So that would be just you know ships less passing time in the night. Yeah. No, that yeah. wouldn't be a good idea. No. Uh, but apparently Bilbo is skilled at a lot of things. Not only those things, but he he's skilled at other things. We don't know what, uh, just, because the narrator says, "I haven't had time to tell you about." I haven't them. had time to tell you about them. But I love that that detail. It's like Isn't the narrator is right in the middle of this moment us, too. Like, yeah, exactly. It's like it's reminding us, like you know, you haven't seen this guy do much, but trust me, he's good at a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting that he picks this moment because it's like now's the moment where we we finally. Like, we will never underestimate Bilbo again. No. No, we won't. Uh, and we won't be given much opportunity to either, to no, be honest. No. <laughs> nope. Um, yeah. What a moment. Well, let's see. So he throws uh, throws the stones. You know, he starts taking the spiders down. They can't figure out where he, he is. He gets what? But... How many kills here? Oh, yeah. Let's see. A couple. stones, spider reach. So he kills one. Kills another one. Yeah. Uh, it looks like it's just the two at first. The two. The two with stones, not counting the one that he's already stabbed. Right, right. So that's his third. He's yeah. now Bilbo the serial killer. Uh, in... <laughs> the serial spider killer. Come on. I'm um, a serial spider killer. Oh, yeah. I, I'm, a, I'm, a mass, I'm a mass murderer yeah. as far as spiders are concerned. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. So I was just reading something about some some poor soul that uh, started a house fire because they, they tried to kill a spider with a... Um, with some sort of flaming device, <laughs> some sort oh, of no. yeah. I think it was uh, that some sort of probably overkill. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I I I digress, but I'll tell you because we've talked about moths earlier. <laughs> when I went to college in San Diego, we were right near the water, and the uh, it was traditional long hallways, uh, you know, in the dorms, and the doors would stay open because it was so warm, and we would let that cool air, that breeze, come through. Well. What okay, would also yeah. come in were these moths that were, I'm not kidding you, wingspan as big as your hand. Five inches across, probably. Wow. They were terrifying. Okay. When they hit you, you felt it. I mean, their bodies were as big around as your pinky. And actually about that same length. Their 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 bodies were like your pinky finger. <laughs> Pretty freaking scary guys, really. I mean, I got to tell you. Quite, yeah. Well, you know, college kids don't always I... do the wisest things. So how did we get rid of these moths? That's a bit of an understatement. I'll just let you move Let's on. Let's just say that our extermination plan involved cans of Aquanet and lighters. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, man. And let me just say that those moths wow. burned quite satisfactorily. <laughs> but it was I never do it again. I don't recommend anybody doing it uh, because sometimes the carpet catches on fire and you have to stomp on that. But um I was 19 or 20. Please forgive me. Not that you've ever seen these things Please happen, forgive but. me. That was probably the, I mean, really, I was, a, I was a good kid in college. That was like literally the worst thing I did. So, If that's the worst thing you did in college, then you're ahead of me. Yeah, so I, I just, really we'll was a good kid and, and I didn't do much. So, 
but yeah, I had to had to mention that because you know, killing creatures. No, that's that's pretty good. What is it about playing with fire that's just like so attractive? Dude, I don't know. At that I age, I don't know. Yeah, but because I, I did that. Yeah, too. you, you got to light stuff on fire, you know. Yeah. Um, but not everything. Those those. Uh, Please, somebody... kids listening to this, <laughs> don't, don't light, light anything stuff on, on fire, fire. kids. <laughs> Prancing Funny Podcast, PPPPSA. Yeah, please don't. Fire don't, is don't bad. Don't things on fire. Fire belongs fire in fire bad. pits and in your barbecue grill and on your stovetop. That's top. right. And really, that's about it. Fire is for roasting meat. Yes, it is. And for keeping warm. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Although I'd even recommend a space heater over a fire for that just because I don't want anybody <laughs> yeah, to burn sure. anything. That's um, true. That's true. Yeah. It's good for s'mores. There you go. Roasting meats and making Camp s'mores. Fires. Telling ghost stories. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, um, now that we've had a, a way long <laughs> digression that's probably going to get me in trouble, digression, I'm probably going to get like a letter from my old college saying, you now owe us for this carpet. We didn't know about this, Mr. Sisto. We've been wondering. Yeah. <laughs> we, we've had stains in that carpet for 20-something yeah, years. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I'm sure that that won't be the case. But I mean 19 years. 19 Sorry. years. Don't I wish. <laughs> I graduated. <laughs> you don't want to know when I graduated. Oh, yeah, a long time ago. All right, I'm going to let you, after the after he relocates, I'm going to have you read that next, uh, that next passage. This is actually going to be our last passage of the day, then we'll discuss it. All right, sounds good. Bilbo, however, soon slipped away to a different place. The idea came to him to lead the furious spiders further and further away from the dwarves, if he could, to make them curious, excited, and angry all at once. When about fifty had gone off to the place where he had stood before, he threw some more stones at these, and at others that had stopped behind. Then, dancing among the trees, he began to sing a song to infuriate them and bring them all after him, and also to let the dwarves hear his voice. This is what he sang. Old fat spider spinning in a tree, old fat spider can't see me. Attercop, Attercop, won't you stop? Stop your spinning and look for me. Old Tom Noddy, all big body, old Tom Noddy can't spy me. Attercop, attercop, down you drop. You'll never catch me up your tree. My goodness, I wish I'd, I, I, I'm so glad we recorded that, but I wish I'd given you a tune to sing it to. That was brilliant. <laughs> that was brilliant. I, I tried to. It was sing-songy. Get a little, yeah. little bit, little bit of a rhythm to it, but also I didn't want to give it a, I didn't want to put a uh, melody put it to, to it. No. Yeah, no. That's a shame because that would have been. Didn't want to. Oh goodness! Didn't want to do uh, any of the some of the some of the recommendations we've gotten recently for goblin songs. I think have oh, been, have been fantastic. Awesome, haven't we've gotten they? a lot yeah. of recommendations yeah. for like Tom Waits. Apparently, Tom Waits has got a lot of good goblin melodies. <laughs> melodies for That's goblin awesome. songs. I should say. Uh, I don't know who's got King Crimson was there, mine, yeah, but. Yeah. <laughs> so you know what you know what anyway. really surprised me about this passage, when about fifty had gone off to the uh, when about what. 50, 50 of these, of these giant spiders? spiders. Yeah, and he's throwing stones yeah, at them. Yeah. It's great. One at a time. <laughs> I mean, yeah. what? A, he is more courageous than I thought. 50 yeah. of these spiders, and clearly there's more. He's just, you know, waiting until 50 had gone off to where he'd stood. Uh, and then he threw some more at those and at others that had stopped behind. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. this, is, uh, this is pretty intense numbers. Um, yeah. I also love that his... This is a bold moment for a little really bit for Mr. Baggins. It really is. And I love the moment where we get to see that one of the reasons he did this was to let the dwarves hear his voice. I think yeah. that's cool. Yeah, I like this that. This is, I want my friends to know I'm here and that I'm working on a solution. Mm-hmm. 
and they were going to figure this out. He's, that's true. It's it's not just you know wanting to vanquish the spiders. It's it's thinking about his friends yeah. too. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. It really is. Well, before we we wrap up, I'm sure you've got something, being the word nerd that you are, on you know, Adder Cop and Tom you Naughty. You know I've got stuff on Adder Cop good, and Tom Naughty. Good, good, good. Talk to me. Absolutely. Yeah, this comes again from one of my favorites, Ring of Words, Tolkien in the Oxford English Dictionary. Oh, yes. So Adder Cop is a regional dialect word for spider with a long history. Mm-hmm. It's first attested in Old English in an 11th century medical treatise. Oh my goodness. Interestingly enough, Tolkien would have encountered the word when he was still an undergraduate while he was making notes on the 13th century poem, The Owl and the Nightingale. And the word is actually derived from Old English ator, which means poison, and kappa, which probably on its own means spider. So it, it, it literally means something like poison spider, huh. but ended up basically just meaning spider well, in okay. Old English. Interesting. Um, the latter element, kappa, is also related to the word cob, which is another word mm, for spider. Which we'll see in the next that episode. Today, yeah. That we will see it in the next episode. And uh, other than the next poem, Bilbo is going <laughs> to sing to taunt these spiders, that, that word cob actually exists today in the word cob. Oh, yeah, of course. So there you go. And I think when I was, when I was looking around, I think I saw that uh, maybe Norwegian or Swedish or some of the other uh, Scandinavian languages, actually their, their word for spider today is something like Etterkop. Oh, wow. It's something that's cognate with this. So uh, well, any would, of our yeah. listeners in Norway or Sweden, if they can, you know, if you guys can confirm the uh, the word for spider in your language. That'd be great. Well, I know we have quite a few, actually, uh, surprisingly. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Uh, in, in... So, yeah, I think I saw something like Etterkop hmm, or something like that. Interesting. Well, I think we'll have an answer for uh, that probably a week after this releases. Maybe a day. I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, so as for Tom Noddy... Mm-hmm. Tom Naughty is not a spider-specific no. word. It's actually a 19th century term for a foolish or stupid person. Mm. Um, it probably originates in a regional dialect. Um, it's basically just made up of Tom, the personal name. And think of, you know, terms like yeah, tomfoolery yeah. and stuff like that, you know, for, for how Tom can work its way into a word like that. Um, and also naughty, which is another word for a foolish person. Okay. So um, this explains the narrator's comment later on where he says that Tom Naughty, of course, is insulting <laughs> to anybody. <laughs> spider um, or not. But I also, right. because, right, spider or not, it's just a, not a nice thing to no. call somebody. But also I noted that, that it's a 19th century term. And I remember oh, yeah. back when we talked about Chapter 5, we talked about the Victorian tendencies of Bilbo's right, riddles. Right, And it seems like we're seeing it again in his freestyle poetry. Dad, in his freestyle. Bilbo's freestyling <laughs> it. Bilbo's yeah. uh, like epic rap battle with the with, with the Adder Cops. Yeah, yeah, there you go. It's not quite up there with uh, you know Finrod and Sauron, but you know it's close. No, it's not. Although it is interesting because I'm I I would like to to think about that. I know we're going to talk a little bit more about mm-hmm. it in the next episode. It it does kind of feel like there's an there's an element of you know using song as a weapon, yeah. which I kind of love. Oh yeah, no, it definitely feels. I that think way. there is a. It's a much smaller scale well, than yeah. Finrod and Sauron, Just a but it's, it's in the same uh, same vein. It's in the same yeah, no ballpark, doubt. or the same sport, at least. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, folks, that is where we're going to stop the book for today. But please, as as we always tell you, stick around. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about that big news that we mentioned last week. And then, of course, we have a lot more good stuff for you. A couple of really good questions in Barnum's bag this week. And also, most likely, who am I kidding? Probably at least one bad at joke least. coming your way. But before that, we've got uh, some important things to talk about. And why don't you kick us off? Well, like we talked about last week, uh, you know, look, if you follow us on social media, you already know this. But this really is big. I mean, big, big, big. You saw the news that we have been invited as special guests to Mythmoot 5. Now, that's taking place in Virginia 
uh, in the month of June. It is just an unbelievable opportunity that we have. I never imagined that, you know, here we are two years after we started this show and we're going to be at MythMoot 5 doing something amazingly cool while we're there, a live mm-hmm. episode broadcast. That's right. We're going to be in the main room with no other events during <laughs> our like, time slot. How we're are gonna, they doing that? That's so we're going to cool. have the whole of MythMoot yeah. there to join us. And we're going to be interviewing some amazing people. And we've got the show. longest time slot that they do, which is 90 minutes. So, um, yeah. Oh, there you go. You know, we've, yeah. already, we've already confirmed that both John Garth and Corey Olson are going to sit down with us again. You know, we've already interviewed them on the show, but we're going to get a chance mm-hmm. to visit them since they'll be at MythMoot. And we've also confirmed with Douglas Anderson, the editor of The Annotated Hobbit, that he'll be joining us. Now, the show is going to air live on Facebook at the time of the event, and we'll get you the date and time. Um, well, probably next time we'll probably have something a little bit more firm. Uh, but uh, it go. will also be released, hopefully, the very next day as, I think, episode 88, if I do my math right. I think that's yeah. right. And also, if we stay on schedule, that event will be taking place right as we're wrapping up The Hobbit and getting ready for season Amazing. three. So really well-timed. It's almost like we planned it that <laughs> yeah, way. Yeah, but... this time. We, we really didn't. It's truly coincidental. And, uh, you know, it just means that after we get back from... Uh, uh, for Mythmoot, we'll have the opportunity to kind uh, of do some transition stuff and then hit Lord of the Rings, hit Fellowship of the Ring pretty quickly after that. So, uh, man, can't, can't wait. wait what, a, what a summer this is going to be. Now, yeah. um, Mythmoot yep. is generously covering our event registration, which also includes the meals. So it saves us quite a bit. But, you know, we still have to find a way to get there uh, and stay there for a few days. And unfortunately, Virginia is still about 3,000 miles from California. Uh, and we still can't yep. seem to find an eagle when we need one or Or two, actually, as the case may be. No. So that's why we're coming to you, our listeners, to ask you, as we do every episode, to consider joining our Patreon family at patreon.com slash prancingponypod. We weren't going to do a live episode from Amoot until we got to our next goal, actually, but we just couldn't turn this opportunity down. So that's why we're now coming to you to help us make it happen. And we trust you will. We really think that you're going to get us to that level. And, you know, like we said, we weren't going to do that unless we were at that level for six months. Uh, But, you know really, we couldn't turn this down. Uh, so, you know, we're, yeah. we're just trusting that you'll help us get True. to that uh, to that threshold. And you guys have been amazing so far, so wouldn't be surprised at all. Really have. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Thank if, you. thanks to you guys that we've been able to make some of these improvements, including uh, the move to weekly episodes, uh, all the extra content that we do, uh, which is, you know, one of our really cool rewards. And one of our rewards is exclusive content, like our postscripts to each episode. As You've heard us say a few times now, we record these episodes a couple of weeks in advance, and then we listen to them before they're released to see if there are any jokes that fell through the cracks, <laughs> any mistakes we want to correct, topics we wished we had dived into a little bit more. Um, and we put those into a short, usually about 10-minute mm-hmm. or so postscript that's available to our patrons. Sometimes a little longer, sometimes a little less, but, uh, you yeah. know, and that exclusive postscript usually releases the same day as the episode that it follows. I mean, every once in a while, we've had to do one a little bit late, but usually within the, the same day. So if you want access to the to that bonus, to the exclusive content and some of the posts that we put up that are also exclusive, be sure to join the fellowship of the podcast. Again, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you to those of you who've already joined. You really are helping to make this show even better, and you're helping to send us to MythMood. And, of course, we also want to give a very special shout-out to Jason in British Columbia and D-May in Alaska. They're our patrons at the Care Dance Contribution tier. If you want a personalized shout-out on our episodes, well, now you know where to go. And while we truly do appreciate your support, I cannot stress this enough. We do not want you to feel obligated by any means. We would love for you to consider come visiting us at Patreon and joining the fellowship, but only if you can afford it and only if you think Mm -hmm. we've earned it. We know some of you can't and are 
choosing other ways right. to support us. We're very grateful for that. Uh, but even if you can't join us at Patreon, just keep enjoying the podcast. We will keep making it. Absolutely. Well, Sean, why don't we go ahead and get on with Barlaman's bag? Why don't we do that? So for our first question today, I'm going to go pretty far back. And uh, it's funny. I think we were just talking about one of these uh, one of these questions from Tarek in Chicago oh, yeah. about the, uh, the green elves of Osirian, uh, like the one we answered a few episodes ago when we talked about Bayorn. Well, a few months ago, Tarek sent us a few different questions about the green elves, and I saved this one for tonight. So here we go. Tarek said, you guys have revisited the green elves of Osirian several times, but they still continue to intrigue me. Well, there you go. Yeah. He sent us quite a few questions about them. Yes, he has. Uh, he said, are the Nandor and other Sylvan elves we see in Lothlorien and in Mirkwood in the Third Age descendants of these very same elves from Assyrian? Hmm. Maybe some of them are actually still around from that same time period. Who knows? He says, if so, I found their description and mannerisms in the Mirkwood scene in The Hobbit to be rather curious. They struck me as more sprite-like here, as opposed to the Quendi we're introduced to and grew accustomed to in the Silmarillion. I wonder if Tolkien was thinking of the same Nandor or Sylvan Elves when he first thought up the Elves and under the rule of the Elven King and the Hobbit. Hmm. So, Alan, why don't you take this one first? Well, go not to the podcast for counsel, for they will say both no and yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the answer is found in Unfinished Tales in the appendices to the history of Galadriel and Celeborn. Uh, it is Appendix A to that, uh, the Sylvan Elves and their speech. That gives us the answer, and here's the quote from that. The Sylvan Elves, Tawar... I'm going to, I can't pronounce this. That's the W's that messed me up. Tawarwife? Is it Tawarwife, I think? Tawarwife. There we go. The the Tawarwife. Were in origin Teleri, and so were motor kin of the Sindar, though even longer separated from them than the Teleri of Valinor. They were descended from those of the Teleri who, on the great journey, were daunted by the Misty Mountains and lingered in the Vale of Anduin, and so never reached Beleriand or the sea. They were thus closer akin to the Nandor, otherwise called the Green Elves of Osirian, who eventually crossed the mountains and came at last into Beleriand. So the Sylvan Elves left the march to Valinor before ever crossing the Misty Mountains. Mm-hmm. They were pretty much the first ones to bail. I mean, they, they, they started right. to go, yeah. but they left. Now, True. some of them later left the area around Mirkwood and did keep going to Beleriand. Those were the Green Elves uh, of, of, of Osirian. So the Mirkwood mm-hmm. Elves of the Third Age would be more like cousins of the Green Elves, or of any that were left, rather than their yeah. descendants. Um, <laughs> right. You know, because we're certainly never told that any of the Lyquendi or the Green Elves moved back uh, east after Beleriand was destroyed. No, we're, we're not. And, and I think, honestly, since part of Osirian actually survived as mm-hmm. Lindon, remember, that's that area west of the Arid Luin right. on the Strip map of, of Lord of the Rings. There, yeah. yeah, and Elves actually stayed there under the rule of Gilgalad. It's it's pretty likely that a lot of the Green Elves just stayed put. Yeah, honestly. the ones that didn't drown when Beleriand went under. <laughs> right. Yeah, except for those. Yeah. You know, any ones who survived probably just stayed where they were. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was their home. That's where they'd lived. Right. So they probably enjoyed what was left of it. Yeah. But we do know that sounded very, uh, very cold. I didn't mean it, it did, that way, but, but you know what I mean? Yeah. They probably, they probably stayed there um, with what was left of it. But anyway, yeah. we do know that some of the Noldor and the Sindar moved east yes, and became rulers over the Sylvan Elves that they found there. Mm-hmm. So that's how Galadriel and Celeborn became rulers in Lothlorien. Want a kingdom? Find and- inferior people. <laughs> I mean, really, that seems to be the tip. Yeah, pretty much. Uh-huh. We shall live as kings. Um, and, and that's actually how Thranduil became king in Greenwood, which, of course, is, is now Mirkwood. Mm-hmm. Now, as for why the Mirkwood elves seem more sprite-like and less noble than the elves of the Silmarillion, I think the answer to that is found in Appendix B to that same chapter of Unfinished Tales, uh, which is called The Cinderin Princes of the Sylvan Elves. Mm-hmm. It says there that Orifer, 
Thranduil's father, was of cinder in origin. Compared with the elves of Doriath, his sylvan folk were rude and rustic. Orifer had come among them with only a handful of Sindar, and they were soon merged with the sylvan elves, adopting their language and taking names of sylvan form and style. This they did deliberately, for they... I'll skip ahead a little bit. They came from Doriath after its ruin and had no desire to leave Middle-earth, mm -hmm. nor to be merged with the other Sindar of Beleriand, dominated by the Noldoran exiles for whom the folk of Doriath had no great love. They wished indeed to become uh, yeah. sylvan folk and to return, as they said, to the simple life natural to the elves before the invitation of the Valar had disturbed it. Ah, sort of a back-to-nature movement. Yeah, yeah, basically. And, you know, so, so the elven king, or Thranduil, himself is Sindarin, but he was one of only a few Sindar mm -hmm. who came to the Sylvan Elves and, you know, migrated to their land with the intention of assimilating to their way of life and ruling them. And okay. ruling but, them. <laughs> <laughs> but, but of living a more Sylvan way of life. Yeah. And so I think that's why by the time we meet them in the Third Age, they are more Sylvan. They are more dangerous and less wise, as the, the wonderful quote from the next yeah, part I of the chapter I love that quote. Is. Yeah, it's great. That's a great so, question. There you go. Yeah, great tw question, Tarek. Uh, Alan, do you want to go ahead and take the next question? I do, but I want to comment on on what we just saw there. I, I thought, you know, I, again, I'm trying not to bash the films too hard, but it is interesting because in the films, Thranduil feels himself so vastly superior to those, you know, terrible sylvan elves. I mean, remember, that's why he could never conceive of Legolas and, and um, She Who Shall Not Be Named uh, ever getting together. It, it's because she's a sylvan elf oh, and he's yeah. Cinderin. And yet okay. the whole point of them coming was to become like... Was to, to live among exactly. them. Exactly. Yeah. They, they didn't think so much that they were... That the Sindarin were superior to the, the, um, to the Sylvan. They really liked the Sylvan lifestyle. They wanted to become like the Sylvan. So yeah, that's a good point. That, that felt, you know, I didn't even know that at the time that that felt weird. It just felt weird. But I do, I do love that quote from Appendix B. I thought that was really, really good. Though I will tell you this. Yeah. Every time I hear the word rude, even though I know it's referring to something like... You know, rustic, like like when the when uh, the rude harp when Finrod played on the on the rude harp, and here yeah. the Sylvan folk were rude and rustic. I just can't help but think of you know the Sylvan folk going, get out of my way, you and, jerk. And, you know? Yeah, I, mean, I know that's not rude, but it's rude and it's hilarious, <laughs> and that's why I think that way. All right, so those are my thoughts on that. Uh, as you can tell, my thoughts are a little less sophisticated than Sean's tonight, but. They're just a little rude. That's They're all. a little rude. But not rude in that no, way. No, rude, rude, rude like way. the trolls, not rude like the spiders. Here we go. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You're not a monster. No, no, not of course. Um, going on then into the next question, Sean H. in Derby, England, wrote in with a very nice tribute for a token artist who recently passed away. Uh, here's what he said. I don't know if you saw recently that token artist Roger Garland has sadly passed away after a battle with motor neuron disease. Uh, as an aside for reference, ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease is, is a form of motor neuron disease. That's the kind of condition that he had. Okay. Uh, I don't know if he had ALS specifically, but he had motor neuron disease. Uh, Sean goes on to say, Garland is one of my favorite Tolkien artists and very underrated in my opinion. When people think of Tolkien-inspired art, they always reach for Howe, Lee, and Naismith, but often overlook Garland. Many of my cheap old copies of History of Middle-Earth have Garland covers, and he did a great cover for Unfinished Tales. I think Mr. Garland perhaps deserves a shout-out on your great podcast. In relation to all this, perhaps a question I could offer up for Bartleman's bag may be, what is your favorite piece of Tolkien-inspired art and why? Well, we did hear the news about Garland's death, and we want to thank Sean yeah. and Darby for giving us an opportunity to talk about him and his work. Uh, we'll put some links up in our show notes. Tolkien Gateway has a number of his images, all with permission, I might add. 
Thanks again, Sean from Darby. So, Sean from Texas, do you want to share your favorite piece of <laughs> Tolkien-inspired art? Uh, if I could pick one favorite piece, I would. I don't think I, I can, know, I but can't I can list out a few. Yeah, yeah. let's just go there. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I'll start by giving a little credit to the late Roger Garland. His uh, mm-hmm. Tale of the Sun and Moon is one of my absolute favorites. That's the one that illustrates Arian oh, sailing the sun love through that the door one. of night. Love that. That is so cool. So much color. And it's just That's his style. He has, his images are really colorful. He's yeah. A very yeah, they are. bold style. Really, really, really uh, you know, strong contrasts mm-hmm. and, and bright colors. Yeah, yeah. I do have to confess that I am one of those people who's a big fan of Lee and yeah, Alan Naismith. I know, me too. Uh, Ted Naismith's The End of the Age, that's the one that shows the Noldor marching out of Tyrion towards the rising uh, oh, moon. Oh, okay. I was thinking of the one across the Hellcarax. T- I remember which one you're talking about now, the coming out of yeah. Tyrion. All right. That's actually my current laptop wallpaper and has been for about two years because <laughs> I love it so much. <laughs> um I love uh, John Howe's uh, Fingolfin's Challenge. Yeah, yeah. The one of him fighting Morgoth. There's so much, so much motion. There's, yeah, such a that, dynamic in energy fight. in that one. And you see just the 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 just the the bashed in ground all yeah. around them. It's just and the stark beautiful. black and white. Oh, yeah. It's beautiful. It's stark and it's it's beautiful in a in a you know I, kind of a horrific. I way, should clarify but, the black of Morgoth and the white of Fingolfin. Not that the image is black and white. It's a color image. But oh right, right. I, yeah. I just want to yeah. make sure anybody listening didn't think I meant that yeah. it's a black and white. <laughs> but but there is a really strong yeah, contrast. There. Very strong. As there is in another of his works that I'm really fond of, Eowyn and the Nazgul. Yeah. Oh, that is, is a good a, one. I, yeah. Very very similar, and you see again, mm-hmm. you see the. The, the black of the Witch King and his steed and, and Eowyn. Yeah. Sort of this pop of light. Uh, That's the one her, tiny by that point her helmet's off, so you've got the flow of her hair. Yes. Yeah, yeah you I see her that. hair flowing. That's a great image. Yep. Let's see. Just from that same chapter, <laughs> 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 a print of Alan Lee's Battle oh, of yeah. the Pelennor Fields in my office. Yeah, I love that one. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess I do like some of the, you know, the big the names. Classics, yeah. Uh, yeah, some of the classics, but there are a lot of artists out there now doing oh, yeah. you know, doing new stuff that Just I'm a big a fan of. There's um, there's an artist named Jenny Dolphin mm-hmm. who is uh, in in Europe, I believe yep. she's in Germany. I believe so. And uh, she's got a spectacular picture of Arendel and Elwing. Oh, yes. It's called Arendel the Mariner. And her portraits are phenomenal. You know, Aaron, her face, the face, really are. Oh yeah. man, she's yeah. Yeah, and this one's fantastic. You see Arendel just at the you know at the prow of the ship. He's yep. got Elwing. He's cradling Elwing in his hand. Mm. Um, that's super Beautiful cool. Image. Uh, I feel like I'm being kind of obvious with this one because it was last year's winner of the Tolkien Society Award <laughs> oh, for yeah, best artwork. Yeah. But uh, Maglor by oh. Elena and I, I hope I'm getting her name right. I think it's uh, Kukanova or Kukanova. I don't know if uh, okay. anyone listening knows how to say her name and can set me straight on that. But um, but she's got an image of uh, of Maglor by the shore uh, playing a harp, and mm. it's just phenomenal. Yeah, um, it's just there's just so many uh, there, and, and really it kind of changes that's for tough. me. You know, it, it, from day to day, I'll probably pick different it, ones tomorrow. But that's true. I mean, if you ask me this, you know, six months from now, we're in the middle of the Lord of the Rings. I'll probably give you some different choices. Yeah, that's a good um, point. You know, uh, you know, like you, I'm I'm guilty of really enjoying those mainstream artists, Lee Howe and Naismith, those big three. Uh, and I'll pick out a few from each by name. From Ted Naismith, uh, probably my favorite of all of them is Tuor Reaches the Hidden City of Gondolin. Absolutely oh, yeah. love that image. Yep. Um, his Arendel the Mariner, that's the, you can really barely make out Arendel. It's more about the boat on, it's, it's when he's still, when he's heading over, I think. I mean, he's, he's in this white 
ship with the white sail. It's a vertical image. Yeah, And yeah. it's blue, and then there's the clouds yep, and the sky. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yep. So much color and such a just— It's very striking. Yeah. It's very striking. And it almost—I know this is weird to say it reminds me of something in Narnia, but it reminds me a little bit of the, I mean, the image that's described at the beginning of the Voyage of the Dawn Treader that's so real— that you feel like it's it, the water's moving. Okay. And, of course, in that story it is because the painting becomes a gateway to Narnia. But the the image just feels so real that you can almost see those waves. Mm-hmm. And it's just beautiful. Um, and then I would also add the Hill of the Slain, which oh, just moves me to tears yeah. almost every time I see it. It's That's the one with certainly Rianne. Rianne standing in yeah. front of the—and with her hands in front of her face, yeah. just sobbing. Um, yeah. I have to admit I don't normally like his— People for uh, his people images as much as I like the people images from others. Uh, I think I probably tend to like John Howe's uh, people more, but that one is a, is a different story. Mm-hmm. That one's just amazing. Um, from Alan Lee, I'd pick another Gondolin image. The one uh, Huron and Huor are carried to Gondolin, where they're on the eagles' backs going through the uh, the pass. Um, and then also the death of Smaug, which is just this fiery. I mean it really dramatic moment of, of Smaug falling into the lake near Lake Town. Um, you know, water and steam and fire everywhere. It's amazing. Uh, and then the, the wonderful work that serves as the cover art for Children of Huron. Turin, Turin. Oh, Mark, yes. That's a great named. one. Yep. That's a great one. Um, but from John Howe comes maybe my favorite individual piece of artifact. If it only name one, it's the death of Glaurung. Um, so much energy. You can really feel the the heaviness of Glaurung, the, the texture of his hide or of his, you know, his skin, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you can hear the flow of the river. Yeah. You can yeah. see the desperation in Turin's, you know, vertically as he kind of stabs kind outward of, to get of, to Glaurung. Yeah, reaching up to, to stab. Yeah. yeah. And then the fire coming out of Glaurung's mouth. It's such an such an image. Uh, and then, of course, his iconic Bilbo's front hall. You know, you're, you're there at the kind of the back of the hall looking out. Oh, yep, yep. Uh, and you can see the the furniture and the the chairs and the, the you know just iconic, mm-hmm. truly iconic. And then you already named Fingolfin's challenge. Um, I'd add a couple by Roger Garland though. I love his Gandalf. Uh, there's just a beautiful Gandalf resting image that okay, that, that right, I yeah. love. Yeah, I know the one. And then he's got this beautiful panorama that includes so much of Middle Earth. I can't even describe it. But just look up Roger Garland panorama, you'll find it. Um, I would agree with you about the the newer pieces by these artists that are just doing amazing work. You mentioned. Jenny Dolphin and, and uh, Elena, and there are so many others. I, on DeviantArt, there's, you know, a, at least a dozen that come to mind, and, and I know there are more beyond that. But I also have to admit I still have a soft spot for Daryl Sweet's art, <laughs> simply because it was the first Tolkien art I'd ever seen, even with the silly little feathers, you know, feather plumes and the helmets. His um, Fall of Numenor that was on the oh, cover yeah. of that old gold Silmarillion that we both had. Yeah, that's uh, dramatic. That is. I mean— the just explosion of you know yeah. the temple that you see there is um, yeah. is phenomenal. powerful stuff. Yeah, I loved I loved his Return of the King cover and seeing just that tiny sapling. Oh um, yeah, yeah, such a symbol. I loved it. But we shared a yeah, picture the, of uh, some of your old Daryl Sweet covers. Yeah, uh, that's right. I did. I <laughs> I did. Yeah. Uh, th- so those are the, that was the first Tolkien art I'd ever seen. Uh, they were the first covers. Well, not counting the Rankin and Bass, because my my okay, copy yeah, of the yeah. Hobbit, my first copy of the Hobbit was. The one that used the stills from the animated movie, so okay. I didn't see. Right, I never even saw Sweet's Hobbit cover, for instance. I I only saw his Lord of the Rings covers. So anyway, yeah, there you go. Very cool. <laughs> well, that was another fun one that didn't require too much research. 
I guess it mm-hmm. did require a little, a little research bit. for me because I can never remember the names of I the know, works of art. I know, me neither. And I do want to refer to them properly and give proper credit yes. when I talk about them. But uh, hey, thank you to my namesake, Sean, in Darby. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Sean. And thank you, Sean. Well, <laughs> that wraps it up for another episode of the Prancing Pony podcast. Still, don't leave, though, folks. Please wait for the music. As always, we thank you for joining us, and we look forward to having you join us again next time when we wrap up Chapter 8 of The Hobbit. And we'll finally welcome to the stage everyone's favorite Elven King. Well, maybe not everyone's favorite. Such a fashion plate. (laughs) Maybe not everyone's favorite, but the only one we typically call the Elven King. His real name you must find out for yourself. (laughs) Oh, I knew you were going to go there. (laughs) Well, except for the fact that we just said it in the mailbag. I know, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for ruining my joke. Well, you know, I do that. Folks, we want to encourage you to read along and take notes uh, in your own copy of The Hobbit. So please check out the official library tab on our website, the prancingponypodcast.com. We've got links to everything from inexpensive paperbacks, which are perfect for taking notes in, uh, to the really good stuff for your token collection, which you don't want to take notes in. That's right. <laughs> and in the meantime, if you wouldn't mind heading over to iTunes for us and leaving us a review, we'd really be grateful for that. Those reviews help us get a bit more visibility in iTunes and That just means a bigger and more exciting community of Tolkien lovers listening to us. And thanks to those of you who have, by the way. We we read every single one of them, and we really do appreciate all the nice things you say about us. In fact, we've now started picking out one special review every week to feature on our social media networks. It's just our little Mm -hmm. way of saying thank you. So if you'd like to see your name, or your alias at least, in lights on our pages, now it's easy. All you have to do is leave us a review. And also, make sure you never miss an episode of the Prancing Pony Podcast by subscribing through iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can find us mm-hmm. in pretty much any podcast directory. Yep, and we're even on Podable now. Podable is a, a new podcast discovery platform that helps you find new and emerging creators and recommends them to you, kind of like Netflix does. Uh, while other apps make you sort through these clunky charts to find your new favorite podcast, Podable learns your interests and recommends new shows and even individual episodes both popular, super popular shows and total undiscovered gems. So you can spend less time searching and more time listening. And we want to thank all of you who have become part of our social media family. We set out to start a Tolkien conversation that everyone could join, which is why we have our online common room on Facebook at the Prancing Pony Podcast and on Twitter at Prancing Pony Pod. And we recently crossed the, the 2000 mark yeah. on, our, uh, on our Facebook page, didn't we? That we did. Thank you all for following us, and, and stay tuned. We use that uh, we use that a lot. So make sure that you are actively following us, and that you are you've you've prioritized it because Facebook will uh, shove it much further down your feed. Yes, uh, they'll make us they'll make us pay to tell you things. Yeah, but you want to hear from us, so be be sure to prioritize us. One last thing, as always, don't forget to send your questions, comments, or your favorite spider swatting song. <laughs> <laughs> To Barlaman at the prancingponypodcast.com, uh, and we will try to get them into our next episode. Well, an hour 40, still far too short a time to spend amongst such excellent and admirable listeners. But until next time, farewell, friends. <laughs>